was thinking about Mother's Day this morning and what came to my heart was there's nothing like a mother. How many of you have a mother? Raise your hand. Good, everybody raised their hand. Well, I might have seen a couple that did. I don't know where you came from, but everyone has a mother. And there's nothing like a mother. And I've seen that worked out, obviously, in my own life. My mom has gone home to be with the Lord, but I had a great mother. I've seen it in my wife, Kathy, a great mother to my children. I've seen it in the mothers in this church as they have ministered to the children in this church. And there's nothing like the heart of a mother. The men have their part. We all have our role. But mothers, they do something very special. As a matter of fact, as fathers, we quite often sit back and let mom handle it. Because in so many ways, they do such better job. We have our role. But what would we do without our mothers? And I know that some of us don't have mothers that are with us today. I know that there's some watching online that this all goes out to you also. But I also have three daughters and I've been able to see them raise my grandchildren. And it's such a blessing to see how God equips, how God enables mothers to do what they do. And thank you mothers uh, for that. You don't have to be a mother to your husband. You're just called to be a mother to your children. In Proverbs, we all know the Proverbs 31 woman. We'll call that this morning the Proverbs 31, mother. And we read in verse 28 of Proverbs, it says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Isn't that amazing? And those of us that are here this morning, as we look at our wife that is mothered or mothering our children. Mine are all grown up and out of the house, but those that are mothering their children, the husbands, are so blessed. And we should call them blessed. We should be so thankful for them. And I can just tell you personally, I am thankful that God blessed me with a wife that loves our children in the way that she does. And so mothers and those that are watching online, why don't you stand up? We're going to all pray. And the husbands that are here, you can stand with your wife if you like, lay your hand on them. We're going to pray for the mothers here. They need it. Don't you mothers? You need our prayers. And we want you to be blessed this morning. 
Father, we do lift up the mothers that are represented here this morning, those that are online watching. Lord, we pray, Lord, as a church body, and we pray as husbands, Lord, that you would bless, Lord, these mothers, that you would bless them, that you would give them all that they need, Lord, to minister and to continue to minister to their children. Father, even when they're grown up and out of the house, the job isn't done, at least completely. And Lord, would you just give them much wisdom? Would you give them the grace that they need? Lord, even in the times that they fail, Lord, would you just pour out your spirit upon them this morning? Bless them, Lord. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, mothers. With that said, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 to 6 this morning. I titled this morning's message, The Millennial Kingdom is coming. We've left now the tribulation period. The seven-year tribulation period has come to a close with the second coming of Jesus Christ. But a new time has come, the millennial kingdom that was prophesied throughout all of the Old Testament has come. Jesus Speaking to his disciples, he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Those disciples, and the only way that you can make sense of this scripture is to take it on into chapter 17, because chapter 17 speaks of that transfiguration. When Peter, James, and John stood on that mount, God called them, Jesus called them to come alongside, and they experienced the glory of God. They got a taste, if you want to say, of that kingdom to come. Peter wrote about this in his letter in 2 Peter 1.16. He says, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we make known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's speaking of Peter, James, and John, his apostles that witnessed his majesty there on the Mount of Transfiguration. For he, speaking of Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. I got to witness this. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You and I, 
are going to be eyewitnesses of His majesty in that kingdom. Remember, we're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years here on earth. And also in the book of Luke, in chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus says, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it. He's speaking of that, that table as they were sitting there. I'll no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. We're at that place in Revelation chapter 20 this morning. On other occasions, or on the same occasion in verse 28 and 30, Jesus said, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's saying that to his disciples. You're going to be sitting on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. After Jesus' resurrection and before he ascended back to heaven, he said to his disciples in Acts 1.6, he says, Therefore, when they had come together, speaking about Jesus and his disciples, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the disciples in their mind, and every Jew that knew their Bible, they knew what the prophet said. They knew of a coming kingdom. They were anticipating a coming kingdom. And even at this point, even just before Jesus ascended up into heaven, they were thinking, is this going to be the time? They thought it was going to be the time when he rode down in Jerusalem on the back of that donkey on Palm Sunday. But is this going to be the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were anticipating and looking forward to that day. As I already shared, chapter 19 of Revelation, it closes the seven-year tribulation period with the return of Jesus Christ. In chapter 20, we're going to see a few things here. Remember, as I've shared in the past, what we get in the book of Revelation are the highlights. We don't get every detail. We get the highlights of the things to come. Chapter 20 speaks about Satan being bound. We're going to see that this morning. The saints will be reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And then Satan is going to be released at the end of those thousand years. And he's going to be crushed. It's going to be his end. And then finally in this chapter we're going to read about the great white throne judgment. That is yet still to come. Where every unbeliever will stand before God. But today I want to focus on the millennial kingdom. 
It's actually something that is spoken of probably more in all of Scripture than even the eternal destiny where we're going to spend eternity with God. Much is said in your Bible about the millennial kingdom. We'd, we'd have to do a, a three-part series and maybe longer than that to cover all the Scriptures, the prophetic Scriptures that speak about what the millennial kingdom will be. But we're going to focus a little bit this morning on this millennial kingdom. It's referred to, uh, it's a future period. It's something that has not happened yet. It's going to be Jesus Christ reigning here on earth in what we call a millennial kingdom or an earthly kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. One day is like a thousand years to the Lord. When we get into eternity, things are going to happen quickly. It seems like, man, a thousand years? Just think of when we're in eternity with the Lord, in the reigning with Christ in this millennial kingdom. Just for a note, the word millennium, it comes from two Latin words, milli, which means a thousand, and annum, which, mean, which is years. And so we have the millennial kingdom or the thousand year reign of Christ as it's put or the messianic kingdom it's been referred to but there are actually like anything in the Bible we find people that have various views sometimes I want to give you the various views I want to tell you what my view is but I want to give you the various views because you're going to potentially run into the various views from others. There's really four major views when it comes to the millennial kingdom. The first one, and the, this is the view that I hold to, is called dispensational premillennial. Pre, it's even hard to say. Premillennialism. And dispensations, we've talked about that in the past. Dispensations are periods of time where God has worked and dealt with man in different ways, from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to the Church Age, to the seven-year tribulation period, to the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Those are all, and even more, dispensations of times. And so we call it dispensational premillennialism. In, that, in this view, it's held by those that hold this view, it's literal. The millennial kingdom to come is going to be a literal kingdom here on earth. It's futurist in its interpretation. In other words, it hasn't started yet. We're not there yet. It won't happen until after the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ in a literal kingdom here on earth. And it's going to follow the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the view I hold. Then you have historic premillennialism. I might have you just say that word for me. Which says that the rapture and the second coming are one event. The rapture and the second coming. In other words... The rapture is going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. This view believes 
the second coming, will perceive the millennium, but that the church has, and this is where I think it goes wrong, has replaced the nation of Israel. The church has replaced the nation of Israel because of their rejection. It's called replacement theology. And that theology I don't hold to, I reject that. Most who hold this view believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation period where God is going to purify the church by rooting out the false believers. So that's another view that's out there and held. Then there's post-millennialism. It's a view that the great tribulation may precede the millennium, but the second coming of Christ will be follow, will follow the millennium. So in other words, the second coming that we've already covered in chapter 19 at the end of the tribulation period, they hold the view that the second coming will not happen until the thousand years are finished. That's post-millennialism. And then the last one is amillennialism, or we could say for that word a, no millennium. And in this view, the thousand years in their interpretation, which I reject, is only a symbolic number. That Christ is reigning in the lives of people that started in the church age, going all the way back to the cross. The millennial kingdom is only reigning in the hearts of believers until the second coming. Now this view, it denies a literal millennial kingdom here on earth. And it, may, and it also holds, uh, it, it's, it's also many that follow this no millennium uh, they're preterist, and preterism believes that most or all of the Bible prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D. What happened in 70 A.D.? When Titus came in and destroyed the temple and dispersed, killed 1.1 million Jews and dispersed them throughout the whole world where they were taken out of their land. Those that believe in no millennium that often hold to this preterism they believe that all of this was fulfilled in 70 AD. Here's the problem that they have. The problem they have with that interpretation is that this letter that John is writing, or this book of Revelation, it's believed by most scholars to have been written around 95 AD. That's 25 years after Titus came in and tore down the temple there in Israel, dispersed and killed those Jews and dispersed them throughout the whole world. And so they have a problem with that. John's writing about future events. In chapter 20, let's look at our Bibles. Before the millennium begins, we're told that Satan is going to be bound. He must be bound before this millennial kingdom here on earth can be initiated, before it can start. I shared with you last week about that 75-day period that's going to follow the seven-year tribulation period before the thousand-year millennial reign begins. And some of those things that we sh I shared last week are going to happen prior to this. But one of the things that will happen is that Satan is going to be bound. 
Look at your Bibles, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel. It doesn't tell us. John sees numerous angels throughout the book of Revelation. It doesn't tell us which angel this is. It just simply says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. I love that picture in my mind, uh, uh, you know, of this angel having this great chain in his hand. We're told that this angel in verse 2 laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old. He's defining who it is. The dragon is that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. The serpent of old. The deceiver of old is what that means. The devil. He's the slanderer. He's the one that accuses you before God. Satan, who is your adversary. I don't think there's any doubt the way it's written to us here. That this dragon that is this angel is laying hold of and with this chain that it's Satan himself. He cast him, look what it says in verse 3, into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more Till the thousand years were finished. God has a plan in all this. There's reasons for this. That he would be bound for a thousand years. And then he would be released. But just for a short moment. He's going to bind him for these thousand years. Till the thousand years were finished. But after these things we're told he must be released for a little while. We're going to read about that more next week. But you can see that in verse 7 of our text. He's going to be released. And he's going to go out doing the same thing that he's always done. Deceive. Make war. John sees this angel having this key to the bottomless pit, which is also called the abyss, which is described, if you were to look that word abyss up, it's described as the underworld, a place for fallen angels and demons. We saw it back in chapter 9 of Revelation where we read that demons were coming out of the smoke that arose from the bottomless pit. This was under one of the trumpet judgments. That these demons will come up out of the bottomless pit. And we also saw that the beast, which is a name for the Antichrist, 
who was mortally wounded, also ascending out of the bottomless pit. And by the way, this is not the lake of fire. The abyss or the bottomless pit, we might say, is a holding place. It's a holding cell. But his final end is going to be the lake of fire. That will be the devil. His final destination will be the lake of fire. Here in chapter 20, John sees an angel for the second time coming down from heaven with a key, but this time with a great chain. And he grabs hold of Satan. He binds him with this chain. And he puts him in the bottomless pit and seals it for a thousand years. God just says, you go take a chain and bind him. And it's done. Who's in charge? Who's in control? Who's all powerful? Don't ever think that Satan is going to win in the end. Don't even think that there's a minute chance of that. God will prevail. And not only will he prevail, he's already telling us ahead of time what it's going to be, how it's going to happen. People who try to interpret this in a non-literal way, they have a problem because nowhere in Revelation... Do we see periods of time? We're talking about a thousand year millennial reign. But we don't see other periods of time in the book of Revelation being spiritualized. You know, how do we know how long all this is going to be? You know, I mean, uh, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. But what we have to do when we read our Bibles, we have to see the continuity of what is going through the book of Revelation. And what we see is that there is this time frame of 1260 days, Jewish calendar. There's also 42 months. There's also a time where it says times and times and a half time, three and a half years. And then we have our thousand years that we're reading of here. So how do I take it? Literally, thousand year literal reign of Christ. One way that some have tried to explain this away is by saying that Satan was bound with this chain at the cross. It's another one of those views that I shared with you. That he was bound with this chain at the cross, but that he still has the ability to deceive people and nations today. Though he was bound at the cross. But we read back in Revelation chapter 12 verse 7. That when war had broken out in heaven. It was Michael and his angels that fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, here it is again, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. I mean, he wants to make sure no one, everyone knows who we're talking about here, who deceives the whole world. 
he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And then we read in verse 12 of chapter 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why? Because he knows that he has a short time. He knows that his time is short. Satan even knows the Bible. He knows that his time is short. That seven-year tribulation period is coming to an end. He knows that it's short. And he's going to pull all the stops out upon this world. To me, it sounds like he's not bound with a chain at the cry. To me, it sounds like he's still running around. Like he's free. Or either that or he's on a really long chain. He can just get wherever he wants. But Peter warned in 1 Peter 5.8, he says to you and me as Christians, he says, Christians, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, be alert, Christians, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you know you have a real adversary out there? That every single day when you get out of bed, He's looking for how he can trip you and I up, how he can deceive you, how he can plant some things. And you know what? We either are being led by the Holy Spirit and led by God, or we're being led around by the God of this world. You need to stay in the Word of God. You need to stay in prayer. You need to stay focused in the days we're living in, especially. Because there's a lot of deception. Remember that the number one thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 was don't be deceived. And that was, that's the call to all of us as church. Don't be deceived. Know your Bible. Know it well. That's why I take the time to go through and teach the way I am. So that you would have a stance for what you believe. Now look at verses 4 to 6. The resurrection and the millennial kingdom. Verse 4. John says, and I saw thrones. Notice that's plural. Not a throne. Like back in chapter 4. I saw thrones. He saw, I believe, the church. He also might see these apostles sitting on the thrones to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But it says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their right hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. John sees, I believe, the church in heaven. John sees the souls of those who have been beheaded. The martyred, the tribulation martyrs, 
who are now in heaven. The church is in heaven, I believe, at the rapture of the church before the tribulation period began. The tribulation saints will be resurrected at the end of the seven year tribulation period. They will remain until the end and then they too will be resurrected. John says, and I saw thrones. And he sees these that have been martyred for Jesus Christ. For the word of God. For the testimony that they came to believe during the tribulation. And they also will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Isn't our God merciful? Isn't he just full of mercy and grace? That he's going to save even during the tribulation time. A multitude of people which no one could number. There's going to be people that are going to experience God's mercy during that time. They're going to be saved. That's the God we serve. That's the God you say you love. Is the God that is full of mercy towards you every day. Full of grace being poured out upon you every single day. John sees this church. He sees the church and the tribulation saints reigning in a time of peace and prosperity. Can you imagine that? Look what we're going to come out of and look what we're going to go into. What God intended it to be, this thousand year millennial reign of Christ, God says, let me show you what it will be like to be on an earth where I am sitting on the throne, where I am governing, where you're going to see something like you've never seen before. Look at verse 5. But the rest of the dead, this is another group, but the rest of the dead, in other words, the remaining dead, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. In Scripture, there is the first resurrection, and then there is the second resurrection. But we've talked about a number of resurrections. Look what it says in verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's you and I. The first resurrection. Christ has now come back by this chapter. Satan is now bound and cast into the bottomless pit. The thousand year millennial reign has begun. The church is in heaven, is going to come back with the Lord, remember, at his second coming, we're coming back with him. And then we will reign with him here on earth for the thousand years. Also, those that have been beheaded for their witness, they're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. But we also have the Old Testament saints, those that looked forward to a coming Messiah, those that died before the cross. The Old Testament saints is believed, and I believe that they're going to be resurrected at the end 
of the tribulation period. I believe that the rapture of the church is for the church saints. I believe that the Old Testament uh, saints and the tribulation martyrs are going to be resurrected, but they're still going to be in the first resurrection. You see, Jesus Christ is the first fruit, first fruits, excuse me, of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. The dead in Christ are going to be raised at the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. The two witnesses that we read about in Revelation 11, 11, they also are going to be resurrected. The tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints, they're going to follow at the end of the tribulation period. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And I believe in our text this morning is what we're seeing in Revelation 20, verse 4. Verse 5 says, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. The rest being those who have perished without Jesus Christ. Those that have rejected the good news of Jesus Christ. Those that say, I don't want that. Those will be the ones that will be resurrected at, after the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And then they're going to stand, and it's in our chapter for next week, they're going to stand before what's called the great white throne judgment. That will not be for believers. That will be for only unbelievers that will stand in that day before the judgment seat of God. That's why we read in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. These verses, they show us the timing, but they also show us the order of both resurrections, the first and the second resurrection. The first being completed before the millennium begins, and the second will follow the millennium. So those are the two, the first and the second, and a thousand-year millennium between them. These verses also reveal the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that spoke about a future kingdom that was to come. A future kingdom where the Christ would rule on the throne of David. You see, that's what I already shared. That's what every Jew knew his Bible was looking for. It's what they were trained in. It's what they were raised up under. It's what they knew. It's what they were looking for. They were looking for the coming kingdom. And we as New Testament Christians that know our Bible, we're looking forward to that also. To that day. I already shared that an amillennialist denies a literal thousand year reign of Christ. 
And they say this teaching of a thousand-year reign is too vague because we only find it in chapter 20. That's an error in itself for somebody to make that kind of a statement. You don't hear much about the millennium throughout the... No, you do. You have to realize that there are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that are even dual fulfillment. There's a lot of dual fulfillment prophecies throughout Scripture. Happened in the day, but it's also indicative of what's to come. That's what they're missing. They're missing that they're not reading the Old Testament prophets. Spend time in the book of Isaiah, second half of the book of Isaiah. You'll find lots of, about the millennium and all the other prophecy books, uh, prophetic books in the Old Testament. Some who teach that the millennial kingdom will happen when the church takes the kingdom and gives it back to Christ. You know what that kind of teaching is called today? You can look it up if you want. Just don't spend a whole lot of time. It's really messed up. Kingdom now theology. Where Christ, the kingdom that Christ lost to Satan, that it's now the church's responsibility to take it back. Kingdom now theology. There are some that believe we need to take it back. We've messed up, church. We haven't done what we're, we need to take it back before that kingdom will come. Kingdom now theology. Do you think God needs our help? I don't think so. He's going to take back what he always intended it to be. He's going to set up his throne here on earth and sit on the seat of David's throne. He doesn't need our help. Why a millennial kingdom? Why do we even need it? Why not just go from this world into eternity? Forget the millennium. Why do we need the millennial kingdom? None of the promises that we find in the Old Testament are more important than the formal agreements that God made with the nation of Israel. God called them covenants. And when you read the covenants that God made with Israel in the Old Testament, you can see that there are elements of these covenants which remain unfulfilled. He made the covenant back in the Old Testament, yet it hasn't been completely fulfilled. Tim LaHaye, a prophecy person, he wrote, the belief and a coming kingdom rests on four unconditional, note that word, four unconditional, unfulfilled covenants that God made with Israel. These covenants are unconditional. They rely solely on God for their fulfillment 
and not on Israel. They are also unfulfilled. And since God is the one who keeps his promises, they must be fulfilled in the future. They can only be fulfilled within the framework of a messianic age or a millennial kingdom. Why do we need a millennial kingdom to come? Because God is going to bring full circle what he intended it to be. The promises and covenants that he made with the nation of Israel, he must fulfill if he's God and true to his word. What are the covenants? We know there's a new covenant. We know that there's a land covenant that God made with Abraham. We know there's a Davidic covenant that God made with King David. We read in Jeremiah concerning this new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember that Israel was to the north and Judah was to the south. It encompasses the whole nation of Israel. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins and I will remember no more. Wow. That's the God we serve. A God of mercy and patience. And he's faithful to fulfill what he promised that he will do. I shared in the past that the tribulation period is going to lead to the regeneration of Israel. A fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that we are reading. Remember that Israel is the focus that we see when you read through the book of Revelation. It focuses around Israel, God's people. The Gentiles are in there, but the focus. You can also read passages like Isaiah 45, 17. But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting, note that word, an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. He's speaking about the children of Israel. You will not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Jeremiah 24, 7. Then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with a whole heart. Jeremiah 50 verse 19. But I will bring back Israel to his home and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan and his soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought but there will be none. In the sins of Judah, 
but they shall not be found, for I will pardon those whom I preserve. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. This is a fulfillment. This is what God is going to do. He's going to save a remnant of his people, Israel, not because of their faithfulness, but because he is faithful to his promises. I've spoken in the past about the times of the Gentiles, that term, the times of the Gentiles, which started with the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C., Remember when uh, Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians? It's, and it, this time of the Gentiles, it does not end until the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is Revelation chapter 19 last week. From Babylon to the second coming of Jesus Christ, you have the time of the Gentiles. How long has that been? Over 2,500 years, a long time. We read in Luke 21, 24, a parallel passage to Matthew 24. And they, speaking of the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until what? Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's how long. When is it going to be fulfilled? At the second coming of Jesus Christ. We also have the fullness of the Gentiles. Not to be confused uh, with the time of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles found in Romans chapter 11 verse 25 we read. It refers to a full number of Gentiles who will become believers during the church age. We're in the church age now. Until the rapture happens. Until we go home to be with the Lord. We're in this time called the church age. According to Romans 11.25. It refers to the full number of Gentiles. Who will become believers during the church age. When this full number is reached. That only God knows by the way. The rapture is going to take place. And then any Gentiles saved after the rapture, they're going to be called no longer church saints, but tribulation saints. And they're going to be part of the church. They're not going to be part of the church age saints. They're going to be the tribulation saints that will get saved during the tribulation period. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I do not desire, Paul's writing this, For I do not desire, brethren, speaking to you Christians, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So Paul's saying to you and I, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. You know what it means to be ignorant of something? I don't know. No, you need to know this. You need to know. Don't be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion as Gentiles. You know, looking at, you know, many people look at Jews and they go, man, look, they they messed up. We wouldn't have done that. I mean, look, look what they did. They rejected Jesus Christ. You know, they, they shouldn't get any. No. God's going to be faithful in spite of them. 
But look what he goes on to say. Lest you be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part, in other words, there's a lot of Jews that are blinded spiritually today because of the rejection of Jesus Christ as their Messiah, but not all. But blindness in part has happened to Israel, but until when? What does it say? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, this blindness upon Israel is temporary. It's a temporary blindness. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this, listen to this, for this is my covenant with them. God makes a covenant. He means it and he's going to fulfill it. This is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins. God is going to save a remnant of Israel. Those that have rejected him. They're going to look upon him. According to Zechariah. They're going to look upon the one whom they have pierced. In that day. When the Lord comes back to Basra. What we talked about at Armageddon. They're going to look upon the one whom they have pierced. They're going to come to realize he's the one we've always been waiting for. I shared with you on several occasions that if you want to know God's divine plan for Israel, what's God, what's God doing with this nation of Israel today? He, they're not out of the picture then read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Those three chapters. Israel past, Israel present day, and Israel future. Read those three chapters. Paul lays it all out. Here's the plan for Israel. When the children of Israel were given the land of Canaan, they never possessed all the land that God had given them. You can read about the borderlines, where they were. They never possessed it all. Just like you and I quite often don't possess everything that God has given to us. He's given us all kinds of promises and things. Yet, and because of faith and a number of different reasons, we don't possess it all. First, it was the ten tribes of the northern kingdom that were taken into captivity in 70, 740 B.C. by the Assyrians. Then it was the southern kingdom that was taken in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. And they were taken out of their land for 70 years. And then God allowed them to come back into their land. After 70 years, Israel would come back into their land and they would remain there until 70 A.D. In 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general Titus, comes into Jerusalem and slaughters, as I've already shared, slaughters the Jews, and they're scattered throughout the whole world. They were dispersed from their land. Think about it, almost 2,000 years. And then we have one of the greatest prophecies in our lifetime, Christians, that was fulfilled on May 14, 1948, when Israel was declared a Jewish state. Prophecy in our day and age being fulfilled. Israel coming back into their land. Why? 
Because it's God's land. It's God's promise. It's God's covenant. What he had given to his people, Israel, it's theirs. Will Israel ever go out of their land again? I can guarantee they won't. Will Israel be annihilated and pushed off into the Mediterranean Sea by the Iranians? I can guarantee it won't happen that way. Will they be attacked? Yes. Will God allow them to be attacked? Yes. But it'll never be that they're going to be dispersed from their land again. This regathering into their land. We have to keep in mind that Israel, when they have come back into their land now, in 1948, you know, I think I shared 6.3 million Jews that are in Israel today. That's just the Jews, not the Gentiles, but 6.3 million Jews that are in the land of Israel today and growing and growing quickly. And they're never going to be taken out of that land again. The same God who scattered Israel is going to be the same God who's going to regather Israel from the four corners of the earth and bring them back into their land. Amazing. It's never happened with a nation before. No other nation has ever been completely dispersed out to come back to be a nation again. But why, would, why this one? Because God says, I made a covenant, I made a promise. This land is theirs, it's mine. And here they are. We're going to have to move quickly, and I'm going to shorten this up right now. There's also the covenant that God made with Abraham. The families of the earth were going to be blessed through Abraham and his seed. The land that was promised to Abraham was going to be part of that covenant that God would make with Abraham. He'd make this covenant with them, and he would, uh, he would uh, God himself were, uh, took and made this covenant with Abraham, a covenant that could not be broken. And he verified by passing through these animals, it's the way they used to do it, where two par- parties would make a covenant and then they would slaughter these animals. And part of the ceremony is that they would too, both of them, would walk and pass through between these two pieces of animal on the ground, making a covenant between two individuals. But in this case, it was only God himself that passed through this to make this covenant. It says, what I said I will do, I will do. That's why when we're reading what we're reading about this millennial kingdom to come, That's why it's important for us to know this. Lastly, we have the Davidic covenant where Christ will one day sit on David's throne. Jesus Christ, who came through the line of David, came all the way to his throne. He is going to once again sit on the throne of David. You see, David was God's chosen king for Israel. God promised David that he would be the head of an everlasting dynasty. Everlasting. That's an important word, isn't it? Everlasting. In 2 Samuel 7.11, we read, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of the wickedness oppress them any more. 
as previously since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all of your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you, he's speaking to King David, that he will make you a house when your days, David, are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed, speaking about Solomon who would come through David after you, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and then Solomon shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Notice what it says, forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Remember Saul before David, whom I removed from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established for how long? Forever before you, your throne shall be established forever. Why is Jesus Christ going to come up, come to this earth and reign for a thousand years in a millennial kingdom here on earth and we're going to reign with him? For these covenants, for these reasons, God is going to do what he's going to do. Amen? Amen. We have an awesome God that's given it all to us right here. We know what's coming. If you're sitting here scratching your head today, if you've sat through Revelation right now and the teaching of this, you're just going, what's going to happen? You weren't listening. And I would just say, well, then you got a whole bunch more studies to go back on. You got to go back on, you know, I think we're like getting close to 40 studies right now in the book of Revelation. You have to go back and listen to it again. But I want you as a church to know what you believe. Not just because I'm standing up here saying it to you and you're going, oh, yeah, that's right. No. no, what does the Bible say? Read your Bible, examine it, search it, check it out. And then have a conviction. Come to a conviction of what you believe. And so let's have the worship team come up. Close us in a song. Father, I thank you for just this revelation that we have before us. You haven't left us to wonder what the things to come are. You've given us all that we need to know. You haven't told us everything, but you've given us enough to know and enough to ready ourselves, and enough that it should cause us to be alert as Christians, that we'd be watching, that we'd be waiting. And Lord, would you grow our faith would you grow our faith in, in these promises, these covenants, everything that we're reading through the book of Revelation that we would stand upon, that we wouldn't be wishy-washy, that we would stand upon what we know to be true. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.